Hey, good morning, FCF. We are continuing in our series called The New You 2.0. And each week, or nearly every week, I've shared this one portion of Scripture that this concept comes from. And I'd like to start by uh, reading from 1 Corinthians 15, verse 45, and then verse 49. The Scripture tells us the first man, Adam, became a living person, but the last Adam, that is Christ, is a life-giving spirit. Just as we are now like the earthly man, we will someday be like the heavenly man. So Adam is you and I 1.0. Adam is you and I in the Garden of Eden, perfect conditions, perfect relationship with God, and we can't even you know, overcome one temptation. 2.0 version of us is Christ in His humanity, born not in the Garden of Eden, but into the Garden of Evil, so to speak, immersed in temptation lifelong, but overcomes each and every one of them, gives himself sacrificially, and that's the 2.0 version of ourselves that God now says, once we put our trust in Christ, our Creator again, once we become His followers, now the Spirit of God wants to start to help this 2.0 Christ-like version of ourselves to come into existence. And that's what this series is about. It started off by keeping New Year's resolutions. The reason we don't keep those my theory is, is that we don't have the proper perspective. Without the proper perspective or view, we don't value things the way they deserve to be valued. Hence, we're not motivated to give things the time that they really, truly deserve. But, but that's, I don't want to get too far off on that. Now, each week, I've also referred to a portion of Scripture. We've looked at one guy. He's unnamed. He's a man that was an invalid, probably paralyzed for 38 years. And I'm just going to read you some of these verses. They're from John 5. I'm going to pick up reading in John 5, verse 5. It says, A certain man was there who had been diseased 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that for a long time now he had been diseased, he said to him, Do you want to be made whole? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But in the meantime, when I am about to come, another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made whole, and took up his bed, and walked. And the day was the Sabbath. You weren't supposed to do any work on the Sabbath. And, and I'll stop there. So here's our man once again. And we started this series off by saying, from the time that he met Jesus and experienced a miraculous intervention of God in his life, it is highly possible, it is likely, that his view of circumstances forever changed. We said that his view of God might have forever changed. His view of Jesus might have forever changed. Last week, even his view of himself might have forever changed. Today we want to look at what about his view of others. You see, up to this time, let's face it, others were the way that he survived. He saw himself as one that was rightfully helpless and a dependent. He was a taker, not by choice, but he was a taker and everyone else was a giver. His view of people probably was a little bit skewed, as is mine and as is yours. Uh, there's a fascinating portion of Scripture. <laughs> it's one of those portions of Scriptures that when you're telling somebody to start reading the Bible, you kind of hope they don't come to this one quickly. But I'll just tell you, it's in, it's in Mark chapter 8, verse 22 through 25. And it is one of the strangest portions of Scripture in all the Bible. Okay, this blind man meets Jesus. Uh, he wants to be healed, of course. Jesus takes the blind man, 
leads him out of the town that he's in. And then when he gets him outside the town, read it on your own, Mark 8, chapter 8, verse 22 through 25. It says, Jesus spits in the man's eyes. I kid you not, read any version you want. Some say spit on his eyes. Some say spit in his eyes. Any way you look at it, Jesus is spitting and it lands on the man's eyes. It's in the Bible. Now, after Jesus spits on or in his eyes, depending on how you want to look at that, it says Jesus puts his hands on him. Some versions make it sound like his hands are on his eyes, but it could have just been on his shoulders or his head, whatever it was. At any rate, he asks a man, do you see? And the man says something remarkable. He says, I see. Now, mind you, the man had been blind. He says, but I see people, I see others, I view others as though they were trees walking around. Well, Jesus then, it says in Scripture, he doesn't spit on the guy again. I guess you're glad that that didn't happen. But he puts his hands on the guy's eyes. And then it says the man saw clearly. He sees people clearly. This is the story of my life. This is the story of your life. This is the story of every human's life since Adam and Eve broke trust with God. We have a very hard time seeing circumstances accurately. We have a very hard time seeing God accurately. We have a really hard time seeing God as He's revealed in comprehensive form in Jesus. We have a hard time seeing ourselves accurately, and we really, really have a hard time viewing others accurately or the way that God wants us to see them. We see them sometimes as trees and sometimes other things that we wouldn't even talk about that are moving around us and in our life. But here's the one thing that I can say. For you and I to develop, to grow, to become the Christ-like 2.0 version of ourselves, it is critical that we view others the way that God intends them to be viewed. And I'm going to read a sentence to you that will give us clarity. Maybe some of you, you would have already said, yeah, Randy, I knew this, and that's okay. Uh, for others of you, this, this could be new. But here's the sentence. Others, others are Christ's gift for our most critical development and profound joy. Let me read it to you again. Others are Christ's gift. That's first. People are Christ's gift to me, to you. Others are Christ's gift for our most critical development and profound joy. Now, human beings, we, we tend without knowing uh, to have a view of others already inside of our minds, just as though we, we have a view of God and Christ and circumstances in ourselves. We, we have a view, it might be hidden, of others. And I'm going to put it into two simple categories. Our tendency is to view others as, as either those that we hope will elevate the quality of our life, they will serve us, they will give to us, they will make us happier, they will do something for us, they will make our life easier. We're not thinking this crystal clear, but it tends to be the attitude, the governing attitude, or some of us see people as those that we want to be a blessing to them, we want to serve them, we want to give to them, we want to help them, we want to elevate the quality of their life. Now, I know that's kind of simple, uh, you know, A or B, and a lot of us will fall in between. I guess some of you are probably thinking, well, I, I see people based on the way that that uh, they behave and the way they conduct themselves and the way they treat me. But I want to suggest to you that you and I already have a bias toward one of these two before that person ever behaves or says a word or does anything. We have a bias. It might be unclear to us, and that bias is, you're here to serve me and add to the quality of my life, or I'm here to serve you and add to the quality of your life. One of those two are going to govern the way we view others, and the way we view others will dictate how effectively 
or ineffectively we grow as human beings to become the Christ-like version of ourselves that God intends. The work starts in this life, folks. Please don't think about, like I said last week, that God is just all about the transportation business, just getting yourself to heaven. No, He's about the transformation business. Those that are transported later to heaven are first going through a transforming process that fits us so that heaven won't be some foreign place for us. God first starts when we put our trust in Christ, our hearts and our minds and our deepest intents are changed dramatically Dramatically. We're far from perfect, but we no longer want to do our will. We want to do God's will. Why? Because we trust Christ, our Creator, more than we trust ourselves. Conversion is a powerful thing when it's properly understood. When you put it into some sort of a theological formula, oh, just say that you believe Jesus died for your sins and rose again, and ask Him to be your Savior, all the things that you will not really find in any passage in Scripture, well, then it becomes meaningless. But when you understand that what was lost in the Garden of Eden, when God um, when, when, excuse me, when Satan came into the Garden of Eden and slandered God, Adam and Eve stopped trusting God. They believed Satan's lie. And so God has been working to restore our trust in Himself ever since. And God is humble and gentle, and He waits on us and reveals Himself even to the point of the, comprehens the comprehensive sacrificial death of our God in Christ on the cross to prove that He is the safest, most beautiful, most trustworthy person on earth. When you come to trust in Christ, we stop trusting in ourselves supremely, and we stop following ourselves and our will, and we start following Christ and His will because it is just simple, simply the way we're built. The one we trust supremely is the one we follow. The one we follow is also the one we trust supremely. Okay, that's an aside. So one, one last time, Others are Christ's great gift for our most critical development and profound joy. Let's look at the critical development component of it first. How do others, how are others a gift so that I can grow? Critical development, the most important facets of development. God uses others, gives others to me as a gift. Well, the first thing that others can produce in me, that God uses others to produce in me, if, if I work with God, is what I'm going to call compassion. It, it, is, it is this capacity, it's dormant in me when I'm Adam 1.0, when I'm you know, newly converted to Christ. It's, it's a flicker maybe, but I have this capacity to care about others, to be able to put myself in their skin, to understand others, to watch out for others, to protect others, to, to try to do good for others. I, I have the ability to feel for others. God uses others as a gift to take these dormant capacities in me for caring and compassion and to bring them alive and to have them start to grow and become stronger and more dominant in my behavior. That, that's a great gift. Listen, it says that, that God first made Adam. <laughs> and uh, it, it's interesting, you know. He makes Adam and then, then it says, you know, he brings all the animals to Adam. You may remember that. And Adam probably had a ball, man, that day. He, he named all the animals. Who knows why he called them what he did. But he names all the animals. But after all that excitement, God says, it's not good that the man should be alone. Now, he wasn't alone. He had face-to-face -face with Christ in the garden. Who knows how long? Every day. He had all the animals. He had just named them. Evidently, they were pretty friendly with him. He was not technically alone, but God said it's not good for the man to be alone. No, what did he say? He needed someone uh, on an equal plane 
to care for, to watch over, to think about, to be concerned about. He needed someone to bring the beautiful, the beautiful capacities for love, God-like love that he had in himself. He needed somebody to help those develop and blossom out. Others are God's great gift to us to start breaking the power of our selfishness. Okay, let me read you a verse from the, the Gospel of John. Jesus says it kind of powerfully. He says, I'm giving you, this is Jesus last night with his disciples, by the way. He says, I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Now, if he would have just stopped there, love each other, who knows what we would have thought, okay? But he doesn't stop there. He says, a new commandment I give you, love each other in the same way that I have loved you. Well, that, that qualifies everything. How did Jesus love his disciples for three and a half years? Well, he watched over them. He taught them. He sought their development. Above all things, he sought to help them know the truth about God and the truth about life so that they would love God with all their, all their heart, mind, soul, and strength and their neighbor as themselves, that they would be those that love righteousness and hated evil. But he bore with them. He was patient with them. He was forgiving. He was corrective when necessary. He was gentle. He was kind. He included them. He always made them feel safe and loved. All of this is the way that Jesus loved. He said, a new commandment I give you, that you love each other <clears throat> in the same way, in the same way that I have loved you. And how did he love ultimately? Ultimately, in order for their trust in God to be perfected, he went to the cross to show, here's the heart of God. God loves you with a sacrificial love that is almost beyond what you and I can imagine. Were it not for the physical demonstration of the sacrificial death of Jesus, it would be hard for you and I to ever believe that God actually loves we human beings that much. And I don't mean we human beings generically in mass. I mean it starts individually with you. He loves you that much. And He even loves me that much as well. So, these people, these others, that sometimes we may not view as gifts, by the way, he puts them in our life so that we can develop this critical component called compassion. The second thing they're in our life for as gifts is that we can critically develop in the area of connection or connectedness. Now, this is where it starts to get deep and difficult, okay? We human beings have a capacity to unite with other human beings, to, to come to terms, to understand each other, to work together, to cooperate to build relationships. And so what God does in order to build this capacity for building connections, we need to learn how to start connections. And then the hard, the really hard part, we need to learn how to sustain connections. Starting connections and sustaining connections, God gives people as gifts for us to learn this lesson. And this lesson is, a, is an extremely valuable one and an extremely hard one. And one of God's major tools is He puts us in certain relational contexts. These contexts all have a unique ability to develop, once again, these dormant capacities in ourselves for enduring, building enduring, sustaining connections or relationships. So, for example, uh, He puts us in, into the context of our, our social world, you know, the neighborhood we live in, the kids we go to school with, the kids we grew up with, the friends in the neighborhood, things like that, our, our friends that live nearby. He puts us into the context of vocational context, the people, the places we work in and work with. 
These all have a different developmental dynamic potential. He puts us into friendships. That's one kind of a dynamic relationship. He puts us into romantic relationships. That's another kind of a dynamic potential. He puts us into marital. That's, that's a whole different uh, dynamic potential. He puts us into the position of being fathers and mothers and so forth, and into families with all different kinds of family connections. So, each of these contexts, marriage, friendship, work, social stuff in the community, family, all these different, there's lots of others we go in. Each of these contexts has the potential, it brings a different kind of a dynamic for our ability to develop the, the capacity to, to initiate connections with people, and then the hard part, to sustain connections with people. And we all know it's a whole lot easier to initiate, even for the shyest of us, it's easier to initiate connections with people than it is to sustain connections with people, even to sustain connections with people that are the sweetest and the most easy to be around. There's something about all of us that are human. Listen to a verse from uh, the New Testament, the book of Colossians, Paul writing to followers of Christ living in the city of Colossae. In chapter 3, verse 12, it says, God loves you. He's writing to those that have trusted in Christ. God loves you and has chosen you as His own special people. So be gentle, kind, humble, meek, patient. Listen to this one, verse 13. Put up with each other and forgive anyone who does you wrong, just as Christ has forgiven you. I love that. Put up with each other and forgive each other. How much should we forgive each other? To the degree that Christ has forgiven you. Be patient with each other. Now, now listen, these contexts work. For example, some of you, as soon as I hear work, you, you, you feel like this is the place that I'm the most miserable. My boss is, is horrible. You know, the people I work with, you know, if they pat you on the back, you're waiting for the knife to come right after it. Or, you know, there might be some other relational context where you're, you're feeling a great deal of uh, stress, pain, frustration, agony, and, and you just can't see much good in these contexts. You can't see this is a gift right now. You don't see that, that boss or those backstabbers at work. Or maybe your spouse that you're having a bad time with. It, we go through seasons in these things. You don't see them right now as God's gift for your development. But they are. Jesus even said that we have the capacity, the God-given capacity, to love our enemies. Remember, he said, uh, you know, don't, don't, don't do what everybody else does to their enemies. He said, for you, pray for your enemy, bless those that curse you, and do good to them. So he gives us three things. He says, we can pray for the enemy, we can do good to the enemy, and we can, we can bless the enemy. Okay, that doesn't mean that it's not an enemy. He's still an enemy. He still wants to hurt us. You might have to duck. You might have to get out of the way. But there's still the capacity to learn how to love the unloving to love the unrighteous, okay? It doesn't change them necessarily, but it does change us. So, let's look at these contexts. You see, this is where we get tripped up. Here's where we get tripped up. We don't understand God's developmental process. And so, we get in a situation, let's say a work situation, and you know, we've got the, the stereotypical horrible boss, and every day we go home stressed and losing our minds, and you know, we, we just don't know what to do. And, and so we're trying to figure what good can come out of this. And our first thing that comes to our mind is, I just need to exit. I just need to quit. I just need to find another place to go. But I want to ask you a question. How does a person develop the capacity to be forgiving? You see, God is very forgiving. God forgives all sin. How do you and I develop the capacity to forgive? Because that passage we read, it says, forgive in the same way that Christ forgives you. Well, that, that's... 
That's every day. That, that's over and over again for some of us. What, how, do I have to learn to forgive that way? And how do I do that? Because when my boss insults me or humiliates me, I am so angry and embittered. I just want bad things to fall upon that boss. How can I forgive them? How can I put up with them? Remember we read that. It says put up with one another. Well, you know how we develop the ability to forgive? By having someone sin against us. You know how we developed, I'm going to say it again, the ability to forgive by having someone hurt us, foul us, slander us, wound us, do bad things to us. You don't have to forgive if somebody's treating you correctly. You have to learn to forgive when you're treated incorrectly. What, what about patience? How do we develop patience? It, we read in that Colossians passage to be patient with one another. Well, how, did we just wake up one morning and nothing bothers us? We're just patient? I wish that were true. Do we pray some prayer and then we're, we're forever patient? I wish that were true. No. God's methodology is this. He tends to put us in these relational contexts in which we are frustrated, sometimes repeatedly for long periods of time. That's the dynamic potential of these contexts. We're, we're locked into them for a long period of time. Character takes a long time to develop. There first of all has to be decisions to choose righteous behavior. Then it has to turn into practice. Then the practice has to have time enough to develop to become gradually a part of our very character. It's a wonderful thing when you see that happen in yourself. You wake up one day and you say, gee, that thing that used to get me so impatient years ago, now I don't even respond. I, I don't even care. How does that happen? It is by being in that context that brings you to your last degree of patience again and again and again. And often we fail, but we go back to God and we say, God, I do want to be patient. I know that's the 2.0 version. Christ, I know you're patient and I want to be like you. And we keep going back at it and gradually, gradually. How does a person learn to be generous? By giving. How does a person run a marathon? Do they just wake up one day and say, I'm going to run 26.3 miles? I think not. You have to train. How do we put on 2.0 Christ-like character? We have to train. It's not trying. If we try, you're going to find that there's not enough strength. There's not enough capacity developed. Capacity gets developed by usage. How does muscle develop? By stress, by working it, by forcing against it again and again. These people that we have to put up with. The scripture said it, put up with one another. These people we have to forgive, they are God's gift to us so that we can become forgiving, so that we become, can become patient and kind and forbearing and gentle and so forth. Okay, so, others are Christ's great gift for our most critical development. They help us to develop compassion, connection or connectedness. And then the last one that I have that I wanted to spend some time with is communication. God has given us this unique capacity to take words, to take language, to push air out of our mouths and make sounds, and these sounds create pictures and feelings and motivations, good or bad, in other human beings. It is phenomenal. It is a phenomenal capacity that God has given us. But you know and I know it can be misused. The very words that God has given us the capacity to send out to other people can heal them, but they can also hurt them. And so God puts us into 
relationships. He puts others. He gives others. Others are given to us as gifts so that we can learn how to use this communication gift because none of us, none of us knows how to use it to its max. It takes lifelong to learn how to use it to its max. Listen to this verse from the book of Ephesians, Paul writing to Christ's followers from Ephesus. He says in Ephesians 4.29, he says, You must let no unwholesome word, no unwholesome word come out of your mouth. And folks, this is the word unwholesome word. It's the Greek word sapros. It, it, it was a word used for, for vegetables and fruit that were rotting. It, it would take in profanity and double meaning, you know, sexual innuendo type of stuff. It would take in negativity and slander and criticalness and malice and bitterness and, and, and gossip and all kinds of things. It, it's just the stuff that's just putrid. It's, it doesn't contribute. It doesn't build up. In fact, the rest of the verse interprets what the opposite of it is. So let me go back to it. You must let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth, but only, but only what is beneficial for the building up of the one in need, that it would give grace to those who hear it. The idea of building up is, is I'm helping that person move closer to Christ. I'm helping that person become more like Christ. I'm giving them a, a picture of Christ. I'm giving them a perspective of Christ and the way that God designed us to live. I'm only going to say those things that bless and build them up. This takes a lot of time and mastery. And the way that God has or is helping us to develop this capacity <laughs> is trial and error, frankly. You know, you know and I know the more you talk, the more you stumble. In the book of James, it warns us, it says, you know, that we, we can bridle almost any animal on earth, even powerful horses, but boy, controlling our tongues, it is something else. And James goes on to elaborate about how our tongues can cause so much havoc, so much trouble. They can bless and they can destroy. They, they can heal and they can hurt. So the only way we learn to develop this skill is by use. And so God gives us the gift of others so that we can learn to stop the unwholesome communication patterns that we may have had from our past and to learn new uplifting, positive patterns of communication. Because, man, you, you can do powerful things. Uh, an encouraging word, a kind word, uh, a word of praise, a word of acknowledgement, a word of affirmation, it, it, it can go miles and miles and decades in a human being's life. There's so many people that are just hanging on to life by a thread. They do it with dignity. They do it quietly. They don't let anybody know. But one little word, one little well-chosen word can make a world of difference. It, it can give them just that grip they need to hang in there for one more day, and that one more day can turn into the rest of their life. So, others are Christ's great gift for our most critical development. They help us develop compassion, connection, and communication. But they're also Christ's great gift for our most profound joy. Now, please hear me on this. I am not saying that your boss, your work associates, your kids, your spouse, your friends, um, your people you know, in the neighborhood, that, that they exist to bring you and I joy. I am not saying that. In fact, if that's our view of them, it's almost guaranteed they will not bring us joy. This man, this man that was healed, it would be so interesting to have gotten into his head after Jesus healed him. He had been a person who, who correctly, to some degree, saw people as those that he used. Uh, he couldn't do anything for himself, so he had to have others do everything for him. But once he was healed, 
he had to start seeing, and we can only hope he started seeing others as those that he would serve. He received everything. He was a taker from everyone up to that point. We can only hope that he became a giver, a contributor, a servant of others. This is a process that each of us, or let me rephrase it, this is a fork in the road that each of us come to, and if we take the right path, it starts a process that's very powerful, and then that turns to the most profound joy. Let, let, let me show you where I'm going. You'll know it right away. Others are God's gift to us for the most profound joy because others, others sometimes affirm us. They accept us. We as human beings are so fragile. We are so terrified of, of disapproval. We are so terrified of others seeing us as not measuring up. We are so terrified of rejection of any kind. Why? Because God made us to live in a world where rejection and disapproval doesn't exist. So that's why we're so tender and fragile there. But when in this life from another human being that is God's gift, we experience acceptance, approval. Oh man, we breathe a sigh of relief. It's, it's near euphoric. We feel safe. We feel wonderful. We can't quite explain it. It's not like we won the lottery. We, we just had somebody that we know. That person really understands. They accept me. They're positive in their view of me. They approve of me. Listen to this verse from Romans chapter 15, verse 7. It says, You will bring glory to God when you accept and welcome one another as partners, just as the anointed one, that's Christ, has fully accepted you and received you as his partner. That's Romans 15, 7. When we feel, when we experience the acceptance of another person and their approval and their affirmation, it is, it is a joy, a profound joy. We don't experience it all the time in this life. We don't experience it perfectly, but, but we get samples. We get samples of what we're going to experience forever in our true home in eternity. But even in this life, it brings the most profound joy, and only another human being and, and uh, relationships can bring that affirmation to us. The second thing, and this one is even more powerful, uh, people are a source of profound joy because from them sometimes we receive affection and we are allowed to give our affection to them. Now you know and I know this is a mysterious thing. Um, when it comes to affection, frankly it's about the closest to euphoria that we experience as human beings. It's, it's in other words, I'm trying, I'm, I'm stumbling for words. It's, it's about the greatest experience we can ever have when we know, when we know and we can feel someone else's affection for us and when we have affection for them. It's a mysterious thing in that there's a, there's a spontaneity about it in this life where we're, none of us are really perfect and we're not seeing things the way God does. Our affection is, is kind of, you know, it, it's, it's not always based on things that are wise. It's not always based on things that are appropriate. Sometimes it's more of an attraction thing or even a sexual thing. But, but genuine affection, the way that God intends it, it is evaluating a human being for their own intrinsic worth and just feeling this warmth for them, just feeling this adoration and admiration for them. And it is the most profound joy, even in an imperfect form. You know this. When you feel somebody else's affection and you have affection for them, it's one of the most profound joys that we get to experience in this life. But you must remember, we don't experience it perfectly. We don't experience it continuously. It is but a foretaste of 
the world, the real world, the home, the real home that we are going to spend eternity in. And it's just part of this developmental journey for us now to have a, a sweet foretaste. So others are God's gift to us, Christ's gift to us for affirmation, affection. In 1 Peter 1.22 it says, Set yourselves apart by your obedience to the truth as you might have genuine, or so that you might have genuine affection for your fellow believers. Love each other deeply and earnestly. The third thing that brings profound joy to us is something I'm calling assimilation. Now that's a kind of an unusual word. But it simply means, man, you're, you're one of us. We, we own you now. We want you. You're part of the family. You're part of the team. You're, you're in. When you and I feel this kind of a connectedness, we feel safe. We feel secure. We feel wanted. We, we feel at home. Our souls ache for a, a family, a connection that will never break, a place where we'll never be cast out of, a place where we'll never be abandoned a community that is um, beyond, beyond rejection. Listen to what it says in 1 Corinthians 12, and I'm going to read Romans 12 to you as, as well. 12.27 of 1 Corinthians says, Now you collectively are Christ's body, and individually you are members of it, each with his own special purpose and function. If you read on in that Corinthians passage, verse 12 through 14, all it says that some of us are like the hand, and some of us are like the eye, and some of us are like the ear. But it doesn't matter what part you are, you're still part of the body. Romans 12 reiterates that. It says, so we who are many, Romans 12, 5, so we who are many are nevertheless um, just one body in Christ, and individually we are parts of one another, mutually dependent upon one another. So this, this connection that we ache for, this connection that cannot be broken, we can experience it to some degree. It's one of God's great gifts to us that others bring. Let me give you an example about this, this whole body function phenomenon. Okay, so when you are trying to nail something and you miss with the hammer and you hit your finger, um, does, your, does just your finger hurt or are you in pain? Okay, is, is it you that's in pain or just your finger in pain? When, when you taste something delicious, <laughs> something just wonderful and delicious. Is it just your tongue that experiences the sensation of deliciousness or do you experience it? That's what Paul's trying to get at here. When you trust Christ and you become a part of Christ's body, his fellow followers, you belong. You, you are in the everlasting, the, the forever family. And so we get a foretaste of it and it's euphoric. One of the things that came to me early, very early as a Christian, um, without going into a bunch of my background, I was just a kid that was, was thrown out all my life. And when I became a Christian, I realized for the first time in my life, I could go anywhere in the world and I would belong. I would be accepted. I would be wanted. I would fit in simply because of my trust in Christ and my devotion to Him to be His follower. And I knew that every sincere individual that had also trusted Christ and what His follower would allow me to be a part of their lives. And, and that's a, a wonderful joy. A wonderful, it makes us feel safe. It makes us feel secure. And these are things that we're going to experience perfectly in the world to come when not just we are 2.0 complete, but the whole universe is 2.0 complete. So I want to close by just kind of where I started. Others are Christ's great gift for our most critical development and profound joy. Now, 
I'm going to close with, with something that's a little bit unusual. Uh, I, I think you'll understand where I'm going. I want to show you two pictures. They should appear on your screen. And what you should be seeing are two different pictures of violins. Now, unless you happen to know an awful lot about violins, which, you know, I do not, um, I look at those violins, and if I were to ask you, and if you're like me, you don't know a lot about them, make a choice, pick one or pick the other, it would be kind of random. You know, you might pick violin one, or you might pick violin two. Now, here's the interesting thing. Violin one, which is a, um, I'm going to get the, I think it's a Medini. <laughs> Yeah, vi yeah, violin one is a Medini violin, um, and you can get that Medini violin, this is really great, for $79.99 with free shipping on Amazon. That's right, you can. You can get the Medini violin. It's the MV300 violin for $79.99, Amazon with free shipping. However, the one that came after that, the second violin, you might have a little more difficulty with that. That's a Stradivarius. Um, there, there's probably only about 500 or so that, that are you know, moving around uses. Some of them are in museums, untouchables. But Stradivarius are looked upon as, if not the greatest, in that category of the greatest violins ever made. They were made back in, in the 16, 1700s. And here's the difference. That, that Medini violin that you can buy for $79.99, it's made in a factory. You know, they're, they're mass produced, assembly line produced. But Stradivariuses were not made that way. The Stradivarius, he himself, Antonio Stradivarius, he took time. He got real personal. He got real individual with each and every one. He touched them. He worked with them. They say to this day that, that the sound of a Stradivarius, it, it's incomparable. That, that Medini for $79.99 will never, you can get the greatest violin player in the world. They will never get the sound out of it that you can get out of the Stradivarius. By the way, what does Stradivarius go for? Oh, gee, anywhere from two and a half million all the way up to 200 million. There's one in the museum in Oxford, England. It's called the, uh, the Hallelujah, or no, excuse me, it's called the Messiah Stradivarius, and they estimate its worth of being 200 million dollars, not for sale exactly. Why? Because the sound that these Stradivarius violins can produce is almost unworldly in its beauty. Uh, so here, here's my point. Christ, our Creator, who wants to take you and take me from being 1.0 version of ourselves, the Adamic version of ourselves, to the 2.0 version, the second Adam, the Christ-like version of ourselves. He spends intense individual time, unique efforts with each and every one of us. He knows exactly what he needs to do with each of us to bring out that 2.0 development. It's not a mass-produced thing, and it's not a quick thing. It's not an overnight thing. It's not a snap of the fingers. And it is a thing that requires our cooperation. Please mark that down. This let go and let God is not biblical. That is not biblical at all. God's way of working with us is that He provides direction and He provides power and He waits for us to move in trust, in faith, and do what He tells us to do before we're able to do it, just like He did with this, this man. So, here's the question. Since people, since others are one of Christ's chosen most prime tools for working in your life and my life so that our lives emit beautiful music to all that meet us, so that our lives 
are a beautiful musical experience to us. And I don't mean music, I'm talking about the climate of our soul. I'm talking about the essence of our life. But he uses others. Others, Randy, you're talking about that, that boss that, that nags me and drives me to the point of drink. <laughs> Hope that's not true. That spouse that's, that's making my life hell on earth. Those kids that are driving me crazy. That neighbor that, that's, that's threatening to take me to court. You're trying to tell me their gifts? Yes. Yes, because how do we learn to be forgiving except when we have to forgive? How do we learn to love unselfishly except when the other is being unlovable and giving nothing in return? How do we learn to put up with others unless there's something to put up with? How do we learn to be patient unless there's something to be patient about? How do we learn to give without giving and seeking nothing in return? Folks, yes. Yes. Randy, are you saying that even evil people are gifts? Yes, in one sense. They can bring the best out of us in spite of their evil, and they can make us aware that evil can never, ever be allowed to exist because it is a destroyer, and that God's determination to expunge evil from the universe is a necessary and a bright and a, and a righteous one. So, in closing, how do you view others? <laughs> I can tell you one thing. How you, how I view others as a habit will determine how fast or how slow we as Christ followers develop this 2.0 version of ourselves that I know you want it if you're, if you're a Christ follower. And I know that we all want it as well. So, let me, let me say one last thing. If you're here and you've never taken the first great gift that God offers us, which is Himself, the greatest gift in the universe, it's Christ Himself, it's our Creator, and He offers Himself to us. You, you say, how much does He offer? He went to a cross to let us know that He already forgives us, already loves us, is already for us. All He asks us to do is to turn to Him in trust and be willing to follow Him. He can't give us the life that He wants us to have unless we trust Him and are willing to embrace His will. If you come to Christ today and put your trust in Him and become His follower, He not only affirms forgiveness of all your sins, He not only promises you a place in His everlasting family, but He promises right now in this life you can start to become who you were always meant to become and you can start to do what you were always meant to do. Don't waste your life. Don't waste your soul. Don't waste another moment. If you haven't trusted Christ, man, let this be the day. Do, do today what I did at age 23 and trust in Christ and become His follower today. Then recognize that everybody else in your life, it's God's gift because they are God's gift for our most critical development and, in some cases, our most profound joy. Let's pray. Father, we, we do thank You. Uh, when You said to Adam, it's not good, it's not good that man should be alone, You knew what You were saying, Lord. We, we need others that we can be stretched and learn unselfish love, that we can learn to love like You this whole life. You give us all kinds of circumstances, all kinds of contexts that we might learn to love the way you love. May your spirit just expand our horizons to be able to see others as your gift, even the others that right now may be sources of pain. Uh, may your spirit do what only your spirit can do to take this message to the core of our hearts. I ask it in Christ's holy name. Amen.